All right, so we're going to talk a little bit today. Uh, we're in our verse by verse, but we're going to the topic within the verses is kind of how how God puts people in our lives, whether it be a spouse or somebody you somebody you know at work or a friend, somebody at church, somebody anywhere. How God will put these people in our lives sometimes, and uh, to show that God is always always working. That the Spirit is always at work in us, in the sanctification. You know, and maybe you're that person that's been put in somebody's life. And so if you are, and I think we all have at some point, you know, maybe you can relate to what Paul is talking about in these set of verses today. Uh, let Let me refresh real quick though, because we had a week break with Easter from our verse by verse. Just to get us back on track here. Where are we at? So two weeks ago we had covered chapter 4, 8 through 11. I just want to read that to, like I said, kind of refresh us. Bless you. It said, uh, 8 through 11 said, But in the past when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, and seasons, and years, and I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. So that was what we covered just before that. And now today we're going to cover verses 12 through 19. which directly relate to this. So I want to start at at verse 12 here, where it says, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. So Paul is talking to the Galatians here. And you'll notice, uh, you know, as, as we've been going through this epistle, there's been a certain tone to it. It kind of changes a little bit right here where perhaps Paul softens up a little bit. But even in his softening, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't take back anything that he has said. And he definitely never sacrifices the truth here. So... Like I said, he will for a moment kind of soften and relate with the, with the Galatians to their previous experiences. So, in what way should the, should the Galatian Christians be like Paul? What he's wanting them to do is to, is to follow Jesus Christ. To follow what Jesus Christ has taught. Uh, to, to, to imitate... If he was to say anything about himself, he's trying to say to imitate my consistency. Follow Christ as I'm following Christ is what he's saying. So you got to remember that. So Paul started out over there. He, he preached the gospel. People seem to have accepted it. He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit was there. But these people have started to stray a little bit. And so he's saying, be as me. Don't. Don't stray from Christ. Don't stray from your first love. Don't be somebody, and specifically in this situation, don't be somebody who is bound to Jewish law. 
And that's the obviously has been the major issue in this whole epistle. Don't be subject to Jewish law. Uh, in a way, this this whole "be as me" is kind of is kind of a mantra that should go on in the church to a certain degree, uh, because you're, you're, we're to be examples for people. And everybody's at a different level, so everybody's looking to a different example, if that makes sense. Uh, that's why that's why church elders are so important, because. New Christians have to have somebody to look to as well. And obviously, they're ultimately looking to Christ. But there is something going on in the church like this. You know, he's not saying to to these Galatians that... Because sometimes people will confuse us where he says, for I also have become as you are. He's not saying that he's going to do as they're doing. He's not endorsing the error or perhaps the sin that they're that they're in and sometimes that's something that people kind of kind of misconstrue because you always get the comment of well Jesus sat with sinners he absolutely did sit with sinners and then he called them to repentance you know he didn't sit there and do as they do so Paul could say in this situation he could say that I did become as you were as you are because his whole life, he lived that life. He was in the Jewish hierarchy. He did love legalism. That was his former life. So he knows exactly what they're going through, exactly what they're thinking. And for us, it's the same thing. See, see Paul's giving testimony nonstop. He's giving testimony nonstop to these Galatians. And it's the same for us. We have experiences, things that Christ has has conquered for us. And so when we meet other people who are going through the same issue, we know how to relate to them. That's what's going on here. Paul is doing that for these people because he knows what it's like to be a legalist. He knows exactly what, what they're thinking with that. So some would say that perhaps maybe even Paul kind of means that he would become more Gentile-like when he would be with the Galatians. And that might be true. Maybe because of his former life, he still didn't like to eat shellfish, something like that. And when he was with the Galatians, he didn't, he didn't abide by that. That could be something as well, that what's going on, because he doesn't want to put a, a stumbling block in front of them to make them think, oh, we have to be like that. <clears throat> but this whole section of verses is really good because Paul is, especially right here when he's starting off, He's, when, when looked at with the, within the context of the entire epistle, which we've almost covered now, we're kind of more than halfway through, he's basically saying to them, you've done me no wrong, but you're doing yourself harm. You're doing yourself wrong. And he's telling them because he loves them. He doesn't get anything out of this. He's not going to become rich. Um, it won't be too long later when obviously he will be killed for this faith. So... There's no enrichment going on here. He just he loves these loves these people and he wants them to stay in the faith. So the the bulk of our verses here, though, let's read uh, 13 through 16. <clears throat> and this says, "But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time." 
That's an interesting verse right there, which we'll come back to. But you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, nor express contempt, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I testify about you, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So I have bec- so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth. So there's a couple different things going on here. For some reason, when Paul originally went to Galatia, he found himself there due to illness, due to some kind of infirmity, uh, injury, something. Now, we, we know if you go through and you read the book of Acts, Paul has a pretty rough time. Um, in chap- Acts chapter 14, he gets, he, they think they stoned him to death, and they think he was dead lying there, and of course he comes out of that. But if he's referring to this, I don't know, because he was already in Galatia when that happened. So perhaps he had intended to go somewhere else with the gospel, and he fell sick, or he fell injured, and so he went into Galatia instead to recover. That could be something that's what he's talking about here. There, there are people who are say that perhaps because of the region he was in, maybe he came down with malaria, um, something else, uh, maybe connected to the thorn in his side, which he speaks of in 2 Corinthians. But whatever the illness, whatever the injury was, he is saying, you received me and you responded to the gospel despite my condition. <clears throat> Unlike the many places where Paul would go and he would get rejected, sometimes very violently rejected. So some people, like I said, do think that this is directly related to his suffering. They might be right. Paul talks about the suffering that he went through uh, previously to going to Galatia, I believe. And it's 2 Corinthians 11 where he talks about it. It's uh, in verse 23 through 25 where he gives us a little background of, of some of the things that he's gone through. And he says in those verses, Are, are they servants of Christ? I am, I am speaking as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far, far more imprisonments beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received the, Jewish, uh, the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I spent adrift at sea. So he's had a little rough time. When they talk about in there, um, in case you're wondering, when they talk about the 39 lashes... Sometimes they'll say the 40 minus 1. The Jews believed that, that 40 was base, basically going to kill you. So they'd, they'd play it safe and they'd give you 39 just in case. So that's, that's what he's talking about. He was not treated well. <clears throat> so due to these previous factors, possibly, you know, even with all these things, they received him... But his, but his words, like I said, they do paint an odd picture. Because like it says in there, it says, uh, you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, nor express contempt. So he must have been in really bad shape when he got to Galatia. 
Um, he must have, I mean, you can only imagine, somebody just basically was probably almost killed in multiple places. Uh, he, he, he might have been sick. You think about when a person is sick, they don't, they don't generally look that good. They don't generally smell that good. Uh, maybe he was just really atrocious to be around at that point. And, the, and in other verses, we see that he wasn't very uh, physically present either. He didn't have a big stature. So all these things going on, and yet they listened to what he had to say. They were very receptive to the truth of the gospel. But after having said all that, verse 16 is really a crux for these sets of verses where it says, because he's saying all these things, you've accepted me despite all, all of these conditions that I was in. You heard what I had to say. You embraced the gospel. So have I now become the enemy by telling you the truth? That's a big line for him to say. Have I become the enemy by telling you the truth? Paul is not the enemy, obviously, but he's telling people what they need to hear. And that's an uncomfortable thing sometimes. The truth sets us free, not not lies for the sake of comfort or so that we don't offend somebody sometimes. Like obviously there's ways of speaking to people, but Paul is not, he's not sacrificing the truth for anything. The Galatians needed the truth more than they needed to be, to be affirmed in what it was they were thinking or feeling. And obviously they were bringing works into their salvation, which doesn't, that doesn't pan out. <clears throat> so this is just a, a classic example of how a real friend, a real brother or sister in Christ, you know, they, they're going to admonish somebody who's straying. They're going to they're gonna call, call the lost to truth. Because there's not different sets of truth. There's only one truth. There's only one. Truth is vital because, because our sincerity doesn't save us. Uh, we can be extremely sincere in a faith that is just bizarre, and obviously it's not going to save us if we're not in Christ. So that's, that's why he's so... Paul is always big on truth. He's always big on truth. Peter, same way. We see this nonstop in the Gospels. In the, uh, in the epistles, I'm sorry. So that belief on the Son of God is what we're looking for, obviously. And, and uh, Paul is saying, come back to this. Come back to what has saved you. Don't stray. You know, if a, if a Christian is falling into error, if, if your brother or sister is falling into error, if they're led by the Spirit, they're still in the Word, they're still praying, even though it might sting a little, because it does, they're still going to thank you at the end of the day. You know, these, uh, if someone is... Someone is living in the Spirit. Not only that, we're going to verify what somebody has told us. Is it really true? We're not just going to take every opinion because there's only one opinion that matters and that's in the Bible. So somebody might try to correct. We go to a word. Oh, they're right. Maybe I need to pray to God a little bit more about this. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. This is what we're called to do. In Jude which is a very short epistle, one whole chapter, uh, 22 through 23, it says, And have mercy on some 
who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. We can't physically save somebody from the fire, right? That's not possible. If it was, there'd be a lot more people saved against their will. So we can't force somebody, but we can proclaim Christ crucified to them, whoever it is. We can preach to the lost. We can preach to those who have already been judged because God says that if you're not in Christ, that you've been judged. So we have to preach that saving faith because God commands us to. That's the, that's the Great Commission. And we have to preach the only true gospel. We're not going to go around preaching a works-based salvation like what the Galatians were doing. So, like I said, in this instance specifically, Paul is bringing this up probably because of the quality of teachers that's going on in Galatia. They're changing the gospel. They're adding things to it that you don't need. This is a, this is a good example of the fact that what makes a teacher good, and I'm not claiming I hit the mark at all here, but what makes a teacher good is not their... It's not their looks, it's not their degrees or their seminary training, which can help, but that's not what makes a teacher good. What makes them good is are they bringing the Word of God to the people in their congregations? That's what matters. Are they bringing a contextual reading of the Word? Or are they bringing their version of the Word? Are they bringing the world's gospel, which wants to give up on every point just so that we don't cause strife? Or are they preaching salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's, that's what makes a teacher a good teacher. And it's the job of the congregations to monitor this. Because nobody's perfect and everybody's going to fail at something and everyone's going to need correction. <clears throat> so, let's go to uh, 17 and 18 here. Said so they, they eagerly seek you. When he says they, he's talking about these teachers. They eagerly seek you, not, not in a commendable way, but they want to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable way, and not only when I am present with you. That first part is absolutely true. When he says they eagerly seek you, not in a commendable way, but they seek to shut you out so that you will seek them. This is things that the cults will do. They will eagerly seek you. They will look to isolate you from those who have the truth. In Paul's time, the legalists are corralling the Galatians, and Paul is calling them out. If the Galatians, or if us today, if we have zeal in the Word, we, this doesn't happen because you can see what's going on. You'll have that, that discernment of what's going on. Now Paul knows what zeal is. He had zeal, and he looked on, back on his life in Judaism and he regretted it. But he also knows what zeal in the Lord Jesus Christ is and how it can protect you from this kind of thinking. And it's not just a Paul thing. Jesus himself warned of this very, uh, very deal in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So there were people who would come to you looking like they played the part right. But when you start listening to what they're saying, what they're delivering to you, it's empty. Uh, you know, we bring this up a lot because, because my wife came from something like this. That, that kind of place will, they will overwhelm you with, with like attention, with, with support, with affection, which seem like a good thing. But what they're doing is they're blinding you to what they're also bringing in on the side here, what they're putting on the table. They're using that, those things, that support, those loves, things like that, in, in lieu of the Word of God. Because they don't have that, so they have to bring something else to keep you there. Good doctrine defends itself. It does. It doesn't need to be dressed up with this or that. The Word of God is the Word of God. So, if we want to make a difference, we have to plant, the, we have to plant seeds. <clears throat> That's what Paul is doing here. He's replanting the seeds because something happened there. We live and die by the Word of God. And... And that's what changes hearts. That's what grows the kingdom of God. Paul knew this, and so he said, well, I don't know what happened there, but I need to bring this back to them because they're straying badly. <clears throat> We're going to cover verse 19, and then that, that will be it for today. Verse 19 says, My children, whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. And it does continue into 20, but I just want to, want to stop there on that. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul is, Paul is doing what we are called for. He is laboring with the Galatians. And he is preaching Christ crucified so that Christ will be formed in them. God is calling them. Paul is planting the seed which is what we do as well. We plant the seed. God calls. God waters. We can't save somebody, but we do what God has told us to do. And the darkness in this world hates that you have accepted the Gospel. The darkness hates that you have accepted the Gospel and despises you when you proclaim it. <clears throat> because when a person truly accepts the Lord... When it's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, that form of Christ that Paul is talking about here replaces that dead heart and evicts the darkness. You can't have light and darkness in the same place. You, you, turn up, you light a match, darkness is gone. It kicks it out. So the Lord, has, <clears throat> the Lord has inspired these words in Paul's epistle, in all the epistles, but in this specifically... Because these Galatians are leaving the light. They're leaving the light. They're leaving it for the darkness because they're leaving it for an uncertainty that exists when you try to say that you have Christ plus all the things that you can do. That that's how you're saved. That you have Christ and your works and that's how you get your salvation. They're entering into darkness because they're embracing that kind of mentality. Instead of that whole Christ despite all the things that I can't do. 
Christ has saved you despite all these things that we can't do. So the, the temple of God in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, which is all of us, as Christ has said, is to embrace and to proclaim the joyous salvation of Christ. If you're happy that you're saved, that is a really good reason to go out and tell it to somebody else who you love and to people who you don't even know. Now, it's kind of awkward. Yeah, you're not going to go up to everybody in the grocery store, or maybe we will. just depends on the day. But you know the situation. You know when somebody needs the gospel. The Spirit will be calling to you and telling you that. It's up to you to do it, though. God doesn't force us to do anything. So if we, if we are happy about our salvation, then we have to live in that, in that relief of that light burden that Christ brings us. And we have to, we really, we just have to rest in the victory of what happened on the cross. There's nothing that we're ever going to be able to add to it. And if you try to add to it, you're only going to bring yourself down and you're going to wonder why it is that, that you're not in that right relationship with Christ, why something is off in your life. There's nothing that you can bring to add to what he's done.